0: Welcome to the Andrew Young School Podcast, where each month we interview a member of the Andrew Young School community who embodies the school's charge to think ahead and innovate in the fields of criminal justice and criminology, economics, public management and policy, social work, and urban studies. In this episode, we speak to Tim Sass about how the pandemic has impacted students' achievement growth in public schools across the Atlanta region. Tim Sass is a distinguished university professor in the Department of Economics. He is the WGA Ussery Chair and the Faculty Director for the Metro Atlanta Policy Lab for Education in the Georgia Policy Labs. During our conversation, Tim also shares strategies school districts can use to address the impact of the pandemic on student learning and how parents can take advantage of existing programs to improve their children's learning outcomes. So I have with me today, Tim Sass. Tim, thanks for joining me.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. So uh, first and foremost, I want to talk about the group that you're affiliated with, because it's one of our newer research organizations here in the school. What is the Metro Atlanta Policy Lab for Education?
1: Uh, well, uh, Maple, as we refer to it, um, is a, a research practice partnership between GSU uh, and the Andrew Young School and five l- large school districts in the Atlanta metro area. And Uh, Really, the, the goal of Maple is to provide information, evidence to school districts and other stakeholders to make better informed decisions and ultimately improve outcomes for students.
0: And Maple's a relatively new endeavor. And so I know when COVID began, there was a lot more to shift around because you were all just starting some brand new projects. How did you and your team react to all of that?
1: Well, yeah, you're absolutely right that when the, the pandemic hit and schools started to close, we we quickly realized that we were going to have to rethink what we were doing, that a lot of the projects we were working on would not be as important as dealing with uh, the pandemic and helping schools respond to the issues associated with closing schools and, and quickly going to remote instruction. So we, we very quickly shifted gears, talked to our partners about things we could do to potentially help them, and then... And uh, kind of put other things on the back burner and focused on our work related to COVID and impacts on students.
0: And that's, of course, what brings you here to us today. Uh, I want to begin that discussion pretty broad because there's been a lot of concern around what impacts the pandemic is having on various parts of our lives, but especially on the education of our children and how online learning or distance learning is impacting them. So I wanna start by just maybe coming up with a definition for these learning impacts. How is your team defining learning impacted by the pandemic?
1: In most general terms, what we're doing is comparing uh, students' actual performance during the pandemic with what we would have expected their performance to be had the pandemic not occurred. And it's important to realize that we can't parcel out all the various things that are affecting students' educational performance. So uh, students have been affected in in lots of ways, Uh, family disruptions, potentially job loss of parents, uh, in some cases, food insecurity or housing insecurity, and then trying to manage uh, learning in an online environment. And, And what we're measuring is really the sum of all those things. So it's not just about what schools are or are not doing. It's all the things that have impacted children and their educational performance.
0: And how do you measure those impacts? Because like you said, it seems like there's a lot of potential variables.
1: Yeah, so uh, essentially what we do is to take advantage of the so-called formative assessments that uh, schools have been administering for a number of years to their students as a diagnostic tool. And we look at their performance on these tests prior to the pandemic. So we have test scores going back several years, and we can look at the trajectory that students were on. And from that uh, past information and information about the characteristics of students, we can project what their scores would have been in fall of 2020 and most recently in winter of 2021. We then take those those estimates or or projections and compare them to how students actually scored on those exams. And the difference between those two measures is our uh, measure of the impact of the pandemic on student achievement
0: growth. And when you talk about formative assessments, what subjects are we talking about here?
1: Well, it varies, but um, all of our participating districts test at least in the basic subjects of math and reading. Uh, In some cases, they test other subjects like uh, science, for example.
0: And you mentioned that this initial set of findings is just up through winter 2020, but the study is ongoing. Correct?
1: As of now, we have information on how students did in uh, fall of calendar year 2020, and then in in winter uh, January and February of calendar year 2021. Uh, we expect to be getting additional test results at the end of the current school year, uh, and we'll we'll see how students are progressing at that point, and then. Past that, we will continue to work with our partners uh, to see how students uh, manage uh, next fall and beyond.
0: And so what have you found in this initial set of findings? Is there a certain trajectory that we're seeing students on as far as the impacts of COVID?
1: Well, I, I think there's there's three major takeaways from from our initial findings. First is that the impacts on student learning in many cases are quite significant. So, um For large numbers of students, uh, they may be behind uh, a half a year or more by the end of the school year. Uh, Secondly, those impacts are not uniform. Uh, Some students are doing relatively well, and others are really struggling during the pandemic. So the the effects are very uneven. And then third, we've looked at how students are doing in uh, online learning versus in-person learning. So for some of our partners, uh, kids have been able to return to school and we can look at how they're progressing relative to uh, time spent in remote learning or relative to other students that are still fully remote. What we're finding there is that while students that uh, spend time at school have been um, learning at at a greater rate, they're still not learning at the rate they would have in a typical school year when kids were in person all the time. And of course, we didn't have a pandemic going on that affected lots of other aspects of their lives. So the the takeaway from that is that simply getting kids uh, back in school alone is, is not going to get them caught up to where they would have been had the pandemic not occurred.
0: And this is something we hear from our other colleagues around the Andrew Young School as well, that impacts on education are not simply the result of decisions made by educators. There's so many factors that contribute into this. And I want to zoom in briefly on that second takeaway that you had, that some students are impacted more by this than others. Can you give us an idea of what groups of students that might be?
1: Uh, We looked at at various uh, dimensions, uh, one of which... um, is eligibility for free and reduced price meals. Uh, this is an admittedly very crude measure of family income, but it gives us a rough gauge of how students uh, from lower income families are doing relative to more, uh, from students from more affluent families. And what we find is that in many cases, there are substantial differences uh, in the extent of uh, the impact of the pandemic on st- uh, the growth in student achievement. And so that uh, in general, students from uh, more affluent families seem to be doing better, in some cases much better, than students from uh, more disadvantaged uh, backgrounds in terms of their their family uh, income.
0: But we should say with that, those are variations, but there's still a marked difference between all of these students' performance and where they would be absent any pandemic, correct?
1: In some cases, uh, students uh, seem to be doing just as well on, uh, as they would have been had the pandemic not occurred. So there, there's some subset of students that um, are doing relatively well, and the impacts have been pretty minimal. Uh, and then, as I said, others um, have been impacted greatly. And, and I think that's really an important takeaway here, that this is not um, a uniform effect on everyone.
0: And so with that in mind, you know, I think we're all in search of ways to get back to quote unquote normal as the pandemic uh, hopefully recedes in the next few months or years. Um what actionable recommendations are you finding from this research that can bring students back up to a rate of learning that we that is more typical of students in our area?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I think there's uh, there's multiple things that we can learn from this that will help with. Uh, getting students back on on track. I mean, first is just understanding the magnitude of these impacts. So there's been lots of estimates and, and guesstimates about what the impacts um, on students would be. But now we actually know how much students have been affected. And so schools and districts um, would be wise to consider different um, remediation or, or Uh, alternatives and match them to the size of the problem. So um, in some cases, if losses are, are relatively large, that would imply different tools you would use than if the losses are relatively small. Um, Second, as I've emphasized before, that these impacts are not equal across students. And so one thing that uh, schools and districts could do would be to use this information to try and target the interventions they employ, aiming the the programs at the students that need them the most. Uh, Simply spreading out uh, programs to everyone may end up having little benefit for any student and given limited resources, it's really wise to consider targeting interventions to the students that need them the most. And and third, I think it's really important as uh, schools and districts uh, start to roll out programs to assist students that have been impacted by the pandemic, they really think uh, hard about Uh, gathering the necessary data and rolling out programs in a way such that they can be evaluated. Because the programs to help students are not going to be going on for a month or two. There will likely be uh, multiple years of interventions to get students back on track. And it's very unlikely that anybody's going to get it perfectly right the first time, that some things are going to work well and some not so well. And it's really crucial that uh, schools and districts uh, have in place a system to evaluate uh, how their programs are working so that they can make mid-course corrections and uh, ultimately be able to help all kids who who need it get back on track.
0: I think that last point there is really salient because it again, reminds us that this isn't a monolithic issue. It affects different students differently, and it's going to have to be solved with different measures. Are you expecting that a lot of these measures are taken at the ground level, so to speak, in the classroom, in the school? Or is some of this large enough that we'll need state level or even federal infrastructure to get involved and make changes to the education system to combat these impacts?
1: Well, I I think most of the programs are are going to come at the the district level. And and that's a good thing in the sense that what is needed in... A metro Atlanta County may, uh, school district may be very different than what's needed in a more rural area uh, in another part of the state. Where the federal government comes in and there's there's substantial money in the American Rescue Act that's going to be going to schools in Georgia. And I, I think the, the number is on the order of four and a quarter billion dollars is going to education in Georgia. And a large chunk of that is going directly uh, to school districts. And so there will be substantial resources to try and combat the effects of the pandemic. And our goal is really to provide information to to districts so that they can use that those funds wisely and have the greatest impact on, on students as possible.
0: And what about at home? I know this is a little bit out of the purview of your research, but Certainly a lot of parents are hearing about learning impacts, and this research that you've done has gotten a considerable amount of press coverage. What would you say to parents who are seeing this and are concerned about the potential impacts that the pandemic has had on their child's learning?
1: Sure. And, and as you said, a lot of our resources is really geared toward uh, policymakers, but I, I think there are important takeaways for parents and other stakeholders as well. So first off, I, as I said, uh, I, I'm sure that many of the school districts are going to be offering various uh, programs to help uh ameliorate losses from the pandemic. And I would strongly encourage uh, parents to take advantage of those offerings when they're available, whether it be summer school or learning opportunities between school breaks. One of the the problems that research has uncovered with these sorts of programs is uh, a lack of participation, that uh, often summer school programs or uh, programs during academic breaks, uh, many of those eligible don't participate or don't participate fully. So so, and that's one um, important thing that I think parents can do is to take advantage of the opportunities that arise. Um Second, I think parents also have some tough choices to make about uh, whether to send their school uh, their kids back to school in person or remain online. And I, I think our research at least gives uh, some additional information to aid them in that that tough decision. So, as I said, we we have estimates uh, in a report of how students have been doing in person versus remotely, and. Um, In general, how students have been doing uh, across different types of students. So parents could use that information to to help inform the the decisions they're going to have to make about uh, what learning model is going to be best for their child moving forward.
0: And as we move forward, we mentioned that this study is ongoing. What do you expect that we'll see in subsequent reports from your team?
1: Well, uh, there's a variety of things uh, we, we plan to be doing in the future. Um, one is to, to try and really unpack the, the mechanisms behind the differences we're seeing across different kinds of students. For example, uh, in some cases, we see that English language learners are, are struggling relative to other groups of students. You know, is that because of lack of devices or internet connectivity? or is it difficulty that parents who speak another language other than English uh, may be having with helping their children learn at home? Um, Likewise, uh, somewhat interestingly, we're seeing that uh, girls seem to be faring better in in remote learning than boys. And we're not really sure why that is, whether it's just a matter of having more uh, maturity and and ability to stay uh, focused and work independently, or it could be um, peer effects that uh, I've, I've heard anecdotal evidence suggesting that uh, some girls made me feel more comfortable in the online environment than in a physical environment um, with a, a classroom, of boys. some of which, uh, you yep. know may have negative effects on their their female classmates. So um, right now that's all speculation, but that's the kinds of things we'd really like to better understand what are driving these general trends we're seeing. And then uh, the the second major thrust will be to, to look at the impacts of programs that are designed to help children, uh, improve their, uh, their achievement as we move out of the pandemic. So. We're already looking at um, one program that was conducted last summer, a summer school-based program uh, in one of our partner districts. We anticipate that districts will be rolling out summer programs this summer, and uh, we hope to evaluate wait those, because as I said, it's going to be really important to understand which of these programs work well and which need modification. And without having that hard evidence, it's, it's going to be difficult to, to figure out what's working and what's not, what needs to improve. Be improved.
0: And if folks listening to this are intrigued by this topic and want to learn more about it or support the work that the team is doing, how can they do that?
1: One thing they can do is, is look at the uh, uh, the report and other material we have on our website, which is the uh, Georgia Policy Labs website, of which Maple is a part. And certainly for those in the, uh, the philanthropic community, um, We're going to need additional resources to continue this work. We have great support from the university and have had wonderful support from um, a national philanthropy that uh, allowed us to, to start this work. But we certainly would welcome support from the local philanthropic community to help support this work. You know, traditionally, uh, funders have provided generous support to districts in our, our metro area, but we think uh, that it's also important to spend some resources on evaluating programs and policies so it, uh, they can more wisely use the funding that's available and have the greatest impact on students.
0: Well, Tim, I want to thank you so much for joining me remotely this afternoon, and hopefully we'll be able to sit down in person and talk about the results of the next report together.
1: Yeah, that, that sounds great. I just got my second shot. So I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, being able to see pe- people in person before too long. And uh, thanks again for uh, having me. It was a pleasure to chat with you.
0: To learn more about Maple's findings and support their future research, visit gpl.gsu.edu or follow the Georgia Policy Labs on LinkedIn and Twitter. The Andrew Young School podcast is produced by Taylor Olmsted, with production assistance on this episode from Tyler Rogers. Our executive producer is Ivani Raval. We are a production of Georgia State University's Andrew Young School of Policy Studies, located in downtown Atlanta, Georgia to learn more about the Andrew Young School, visit us online at aysps.gsu.edu or follow us on social media at aysps.gsu. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to leave a review for us in your podcast app of choice, and we'll be back next month interviewing another policy thought leader from the Andrew Young School of Policy Studies at Georgia State University.